the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics. I forgot it was my turn to do that. <laughs> we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. Um, I'm, I'm just about getting the hang of this after 134 episodes. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did that really well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to uh, not give you anything difficult to uh, get in with this week, but I did notice. For those of us uh, who follow the 14 Times um, on Facebook, there's some really weird, um, I guess, don't know what it is, but someone's posted a peculiar video that they've taken out of the fields or out of the door across the field at the back of them. Um, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about if you've seen it. If you haven't, go and check out the 14 Times feed. Really, really interesting. And the reason I say that is because we are on the cusp of our long promised werewolf hunt with um the lawmen i've also been i had another listen back to the one we did last week that that one about the the welsh ufo thing oh Oh, my god that was so scary (laughs) it was scary i'm trying not to think about it um as the place where we're going is also known for UFO reports. And I don't, you know what? It did make me a little bit nervous. I, I was very blasé until I until you did that episode last week, and then I thought, oh, Jesus! If like a, a, a quarter of anything that happened to, to to that woman who was AKA Susan last week happens to us, I'll be terrified. The worst bit, though, the worst bit would be you and me would be naked with one of the lawmen. And then we'd never be able to look each other in the eye again. (laughs) We'd be the we go to Cannock Chase. We come back, and what happened? And we just go nothing, nothing, (laughs) absolutely nothing. I'm saying nothing. What have you got James's trousers on? (laughs) Don't even ask. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, that is the perfect way to try and segue into there. (laughs) So why have you got James's trousers on? Can I segue in? I can't. I can't do it. I'm just going to have to go for it. I'll I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Go go on. I've got it. Go on. Anyone who is a Game of Thrones fan will know that in many episodes, people do get their trousers off. They do. And I've been watching... HBO's House of the Dragon. I don't know if you've been watching it. <laughs> no, I just don't have the time to commit to those. Yeah, well, those it's the, and for things. those, I'm sure everyone knows, but for those who don't, it is the prequel series to Game of Thrones where people get James's trousers off quite a lot. Um, <laughs> so today's episode is on trousers. Yeah. <laughs> no, it means that kind of fire-breathing flying critters ah. have been top of my mind. Dragons, basically. Um, now, dragons... They've been the stuff of legend and folklore thousands of years, I would say. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think I think they're in the Bible, aren't they, dragons? Well, I was going to say, yeah, they are. I, I, not just the Bible. There's a whole number of religious texts and um, and books and stories uh, across multiple religions that describe them. I mean, they generally tend to be either a kind of cautionary tale, don't they, of kind of combating evil or or the ones that have got a kind of heroic protagonist who uh, who either saves a village or a fair young maiden from the clutches of the evil fire-breathing dragon they seem to be the common themes i think yeah that's true and they also seem to like gold and young women so sort of a rupert murdochy type of thing going yeah, there's on. definitely the gold thing as well mm. although we'll come on to that because i i'm going to focus more on the british dragon rather than around the world because i'll tell you why um i was thinking i get why the kind of myths and legends of dragons take hold in places like china um and asia you know because they've got massive lizards right they've got massive mm. snakes if you've ever seen a komodo Komodo, Komono dragon, Komodo dragon. <laughs> They're wants, always just getting dressed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who wants to see what's under the Komodo dragon? Um, if you ever see, I've seen them. I saw one at London Zoo, and obviously I've seen documentaries. I mean, they're just incredibly huge, scary, weird creatures, right? Yeah, yeah. So I get why all that stuff happens uh, outside of Europe, but. How did these legends take hold in Europe and why especially are they so massive in the British Isles? And it's a subject I don't really know a lot about, so I thought, well, that'd be a good thing to dig into. That is a good thing to dig into. Yeah, I've got no idea. So if you think about Britain, 
I mean, there are multiple examples in early folklore. I'll come on to a couple of those later, but it's it's not going to be necessarily this episode about the folklore. I mean, we've obviously got St George, the the English. What would you call him? Is he an icon? Is he a saint? Saint. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> Clues in the name, really, isn't it? <laughs> well, I guess, I guess um, like, it, I, I suppose he get, uh, he's legendary and he's a, a, a figure that represents the country. But, okay, I'm not, uh, to mention them again, I'm not a lawman, so I don't know. I don't think he was British per se, was he? Well, we'll come on to where he, uh, briefly I'm going to talk about where he slayed the dragon because that surprised me and I didn't realise. But but there's also, before we get on to that, there's also, there's a dragon on one of the national flags, right? On the Welsh national flag. Yes. There is a red dragon. And I was really fascinated of, okay, why are all these British legend stories even going so far to being on one of the national flags? How is that so? How did mm. that come about? Mm. So you mentioned St George. I'll, I'll briefly talk about it because I guess it is the best known, certainly in Britain, the best known dragon story, right? I didn't realise it was first published in a circulation in 1483 in a book titled The Golden Legend. Ah, and w- was it reported as fact or fiction? I think it was reported as a, uh, yeah, that's a really good question. A story. A story. So it's kind of, they don't tell you either way, so you, you can sort of take take away from it whether you believe that it's a factual event and you go, there's the hero, or it's a symbolic thing where he's like, oh, yes. Yeah, although when you get into the story a little bit, it it is a little far-fetched, maybe. <laughs> Forgetting the dragon bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what, what is the far-fetched bit? Oh, yeah. So it's So apparently, George came to the city of... Selina, I think it's called, which is in Libya. So oh, yeah. that's where he slayed the dragon, in Libya. And why did he go there to slay this dragon? Well, that is a very good question, Ben. He had heard of a dragon that was terrorising the land. Uh, the townspeople started to feed the dragon sheep to keep it at bay. You would, <laughs> wouldn't you? Have a few sheep, don't bother us. Yeah, but it's like feeding the seagulls, they'll just come back. You're right, because when all the sheep were gone... That start giving the dragon human sacrifices. <laughs> when all the sheep were gone. <laughs> um, until only the king's daughter remained. Which I don't quite get. Does that mean the king didn't remain? <laughs> or do they, was it more a fair maiden type of thing? Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I, I, I think he was thinking, hello, hello. <laughs> yeah. Well, ju- just... Just before all this kind of got to that stage, I think George had obviously heard about it. I don't know where he heard about it from. That's another thing that's a bit of a mystery in the story. But anyway, Chip's over there. And just before the daughter was sacrificed, the king's daughter, George bound the dragon, cut off its head with one blow. Stylish. I mean, that's some skills. But... um I just feel like they were definitely a product of poor negotiation skills. Yeah. Well, maybe we can put this to rest. So is, if that's published in 1483, do you think people would have seen that as a true news reporting story or a fictional account or or, or early creepypasta? Oh. <laughs> well, as most people couldn't read it, someone would have had to have read it to them. So... It would depend, I think, on the narrator how they yeah how, how they, they took it how they build it yeah. Well, that I, I'm not going to dwell on St George for ages. So the other bit that really made me start thinking about British dragons was one being on the Welsh flag, and I'm going to quote something from History UK because there was some interesting background to the Welsh flag that I didn't realise. So the current flag was officially uh, adopted in 1959. As recently as that? The current one. Oh, I see. It's based on an old royal badge used by the British kings and queens since Tudor times. So it's kind of a Tudor emblem. Okay. The red dragon itself has been associated with Wales for centuries. And as such, the flag is claimed to be the oldest national flag still in use. Now, I couldn't work out if that's the oldest national flag in Britain or the world. Um, Don't know. Don't know. 
Why a dragon, though, is the answer. And uh, this, so I thought I'd really cracked the mystery of why why Britain and Wales and other areas of the United Kingdom are so obsessed with dragons, because it did say, why the dragon? I thought, I've got my answer. The answer to that particular question is lost in history and myth. <laughs> oh, which is which is why as this episode goes on, I'll be I will be wildly theorising. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Other connections with the the dragon, the red dragon for the Welsh flag. It's to do with Romans on their banners in the fourth century, but it could be older than that. It's considered that the Welsh king of Aberfraw. Now, I I have got some Welsh blood in me, which is no excuse for my pronunciations in this next section. Aberfraw first adopted the dragon in the early 5th century in order to symbolise their power and authority after the Romans withdrew from Britain. So it's a bit... I, I, I read that as... You know, the Romans had that symbol and they were like, we've defeated you, so we've claimed it as our own. Reclaimed. Mm-hmm. We've reclaimed the dragon. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, later around the 7th century, it became known as the Red Dragon of... Oh, dear, hold on. <laughs> Cadwallader. Cadwallader. Cadwallader? C-A-D-W-A-L-A-D-R. Cadwallader, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll spell them, you read them. <laughs> <laughs> Who was king of G-W-Y-N-E-D-D. Gwened? Yep. From 655 to 682. So this dragon thing, in terms of Wales, does go back a way, 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 right? Yeah. There's also uh, a bit of a connection, possibly, with the legend of King Arthur. I was going to say King Arthur must come into this at some point. Yeah, because Uther Pendragon, the father of Arthur, was obviously, I think his name roughly translates to Dragonhead. (laughs) That was my name at school. Yeah, and... uh, there is a tale in the prophecy of Meridin or Merlin of a long fight between a red dragon and a white dragon. Oh, okay. Which apparently is supposed to symbolise the struggle between the Welsh being the red dragon and the English being the white dragon. Ah, uh, right. Um, the oldest recorded use of the dragon to symbolise Wales is from Historia Britonum. Written by this the historian Nennius, which was around eight twenty. Hmm. So, in what what does he describe? Just that it's a symbol. Yeah, that that's the first you know association of it in oh, terms of yeah. recorded at least. But it does seem by that kind of brief history that it does go back deeper than that. Right, that's enough history, don't you think? Uh, yes. Let's get on to some juicy dragon biting. Yeah, let's do it. So I, I, I was started thinking that I, I think have we really got much more of an obsession with dragons in Britain than anywhere else? And I kind of feel that we have. I mean, even in fictional writing, you know, from popular stories like Beowulf, um, the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, feature dragons, even to Harry Potter, right? I was going to say, I think if you grow up as a kid in the UK, it is impossible to avoid dragons because um, you and I would have been educated by Duncan the Dragon, yeah. who was the kid's, yeah. uh, I guess, he was he was an educational dragon um, back then. And my favourite ever episode of Ivor the Engine features oh. Welsh dragons nesting yes. in, in, in the fireplace of the, of the engine. I'd forgotten about them. Yeah, it's a good episode. What that. were they called? They were they had a really interesting name, and I can't remember it. Oh, I don't know. Cool. We'll we'll have to fact check that. Where? Oh God, it was a Welsh sounding name, wasn't it? It was. It was. Can't remember what it is. But you're you're absolutely right. Like dragons run deep within our psyche. Yeah, and and I what I did was I started to wonder if anybody else shared that view of why Britain has an obsession with them. And uh, I found somebody who dug, wrote a book basically exploring the folklore and the tales of why Britain is so obsessed, which has got, I'm not going to kind of cover the whole book, but mm. I'm going to use bits of it as we go on. So 
there there are going to be a number of sources in the podcast, but the book I was referring to is by Jacqueline Simpson. It's called, quite simply, British Dragons. Not the quite simply bit, it's just British Dragons. <laughs> it has a wealth of theory and stories about the history of dragons. Really interesting read. Um, but before we get... Uh, so one of the main things that I didn't know was in the book, that even to this day... Uh, there are over 50 villages and small towns across Britain that still have traditions and festivals based around the legend of a local dragon. Oh. So they're still going today. That's interesting. So I, I thought, I don't know if you agree, Ben, I thought my my question of why was a valid one, right? Even, yeah. Even though History UK said those answers have been lost in time <laughs> and legend. That, that is just lazy to say <laughs> that, yes. And then I came... Um, I came across a thing in the book, which I guess is a bit, you know, we always talk about the sceptics and jumping to conclusions with logical answers. And God knows we've probably done that enough ourselves on the podcast, haven't we? Yeah, I would say so. But there is a cautionary tale. Um, and it comes from uh, the experts that we know as naturalists. Uh, what, the people who go around without their trousers? <laughs> no, we're back to James without his trousers <laughs> on, isn't it? <laughs> No, pe- people who obviously, uh, basically David Attenborough, he's, yeah. the, he's, he's, he's summarised it, can't you? But they can sometimes get things wrong, because in the 1800s, there was a popular theory among them that the legends and lore about dragons in the UK were drawn from a genetic memory which was passed down from our ancestors when they roamed the land and fought with dinosaurs. Uh I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to be the first part of that theory is quite interesting because actually there is quite a lot of current ongoing research around the possibility of uh, generational trauma being passed down across multiple generations, not just skipping from one generation to the next, but going back way, way back. So, uh, you know, cultures where they've been enslaved that trauma can be passed down through generation to generation yes for a number of years but the but the, the problem with the dinosaur one is that dinosaurs and humans are separated by several gazillion years yeah so that first part about the generational bit i was buying but you've hit the nail on the head about the second part of it is problematic yeah um but Theories about possible links between dinosaurs and dragons do still prevail. And that led me (laughs) to a fantastic survey I found in the US that suggests surprisingly high numbers of people believe that dinosaurs existed way after they were supposedly wiped out, which was 60 million years ago. Mm -hmm. Not the survey, the dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) And that many people still believe that dinosaurs are alive today. The American survey, that which confused me when I first saw it, and I had to dig a bit deeper. The American survey was conducted by Boat Rocker Studios in 2001. They, they're a television production company, aren't they? They are. And the survey, you'll see what they did here. Um, was released to coincide with their Disney Junior animated series, Dino Ranch. Ah, I see. There we go. See what they did? That was one of those meetings, if we were in, we couldn't have really added anything to that, could we? No, no, that's good. They surveyed 2,000 American adults. Do you want to hear some of the results? Of course. 40% of US adults believe that dinosaurs died out between 2,000 and 10,000 years ago. 40%, 40%, so not 60 million years ago. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> but, which did make me think if those people were actually right, that might go some way to explaining how dragon legends could be getting mixed up with dinosaurs. Yeah, that's true. 20% of American adults believe dinosaurs became extinct less than 100 years ago. Uh huh. Okay. believe that mankind and dinosaurs roamed the planet together at the same time. Oh, God. I once went out with a girl who thought we'd actually taken photographs of actual living dinosaurs. Oh, really? What did you get? What did you capture? (laughs) 
We had this argument because I said, we don't really know what dinosaurs look like. And she said, we do. And I said, how? And she said, because we took photographs. It didn't, it, it wasn't a long date, I can promise you. You may have peaked too early, though, because she might have known about the coronavirus. Oh, yes, of course. She might have been part of the Vatican's like operation to go back in time and look at things. Because we said we'd go and look at the dinosaurs if we got the chance, right? From what I recall, she worked at Vodafone Customer Services. But maybe <laughs> maybe they had an in with the Vatican. Oh, I tell you what, that is that's always a front for the Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> There, there is a bit of a discrepancy between the amount of people who believe that we did roam the planet together with dinosaurs being 30% and those who believe dinosaurs only died out at tops 10,000 years ago as being 40%. Yeah, yeah, there is. But, you know, I didn't go into the data enough to question that. This is not a peer-reviewed, analysed survey. I wouldn't have no, thought so, no. no. <laughs> now, before all our... Um, Skeptical British listeners start to feel a bit kind of superior. Smug. Smug at our American cousins. I must tell you that Boat Rocker Studios conducted a similar study in Britain when their uh, animated series was released over here. And the results are pretty similar. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God, it says something about education, doesn't it? Slightly lower figures, but 20% of British adults believe that dinosaurs became extinct between 2,000 and 10,000 years ago. 10% of British adults believe dinosaurs still exist today. And you went out with one of them. She wasn't a di- She was quite young. Um, oh, I see what you mean, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, she wasn't a dinosaur. I wasn't saying she was a dinosaur. I said she believed in them. Um but, uh, and I keep trying to cover it on the show, it's really hard to get evidence for it. But there are, I have heard of people in Texas, I believe it was, who strongly believe they have seen sort of small raptors running ar- along on two legs. I've seen a video, but, you know, not that we can trust those videos. Yeah. There's one about video going down a high street, isn't there? <laughs> There may be, I don't, I'm not sure I've seen that one, but I do think people think they've survived. But of course, in a way, in a way, they sort of did in birds, in a way. Yeah, yeah. And is that connection with crocodiles and alligators? Have they got some dinosaur DNA in there somewhere, maybe? I'd um, pass. Sharks, maybe. Maybe. But, okay, I mean, many people do believe in the Loch Ness Monster and believe that it is some kind of dinosaur that's managed to survive, mm. right? It's often described as a, is it a plethys, plesiosaur? Uh, yes, yeah. So for those of you who think the idea that dragons, myths and legends are not the result of man walking with dinosaurs, there is another theory that connects dinosaurs with dragons and that's dinosaur fossils. Ah, yes, I see that. Now, we're going to talk about that a bit. Before we do, I I, I just feel compelled to give an honourable mention to an amazing woman called Mary Anning. Do you know know about Mary Anning? No. Mary Anning was born in Lyme Regis in 1799. She became a fossil hunter, collector, dealer and paleontologist. Dealer in dinosaurs. I wasn't kind of casting aspersions. Her dinosaur fossil discoveries changed the way that science looked at the prehistoric era, including dates of when dinosaurs roamed the earth. I think, I think I know something about her. Is that the where the song "She Sells Seashells by the Seashore" is that about her? I think there is a connection to that. Yes. Yes. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I've heard that as well. I also heard a story which I. Tried to research when I was doing this, but um, I couldn't find confirmation of it. There is a story. One of her greatest discoveries was a complete plethiosaur. We just mentioned them in terms of Nessie. Oh, wow. So she found a complete one. But sceptics at the time, mainly men, as you can see Mm -hmm, why, mm -hmm. in those days, believed it was a fake and she'd made the whole thing up. But I think I think it's now in the um, Natural History Museum. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and yeah, that, but the story I'd heard was her first major dinosaur discovery. She almost had some 
almost psychic thing of there's something in that rock and then was compelled to break it open and found a fossil in it. But I don't know if that's true. I couldn't confirm that, but I'd like to think it was true. And of course, people seeing these for the first time, it's going to seem amazing. Yes. Well, actually, certainly um, the book I was talking about, Jacqueline Simpson's book, British Dragons, she believes there could be a link with dragon folklore and dinosaur fossils, especially during the Middle Ages. From from what I was reading in the book and the research I've done, that seems to be the hotbed of activity of dinosaur legends and stories. Um, in Britain, at least. She believes that this is because dinosaur fossils were increasingly being discovered in the Middle Ages due to slate mining. Yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Which it doesn't say in the book, but then I made the connection myself of saying that could account for lots of legends being more prevalent in certain areas of Britain, you know, like Wales, which is very famous for slate mining. Welsh slate is very famous. So the fossil thing, that was looking good, right, as a kind of where they would come, why why dragon lore started getting going. Because if you did, if, can you imagine if you came across, I don't know if you've ever seen a plethysaur, but the uh, fossil that Mary Anning discovered, it does look, I mean, you'd have to squint a bit, but you could see how someone might interpret that. Yeah, yeah. But you see, this, this is beginning to make a little bit more sense because... Um, that might account for why people around the world who have dragon legends, like and I'm thinking very specifically China, yeah, they they all kind of look roughly similar, sort of um, lizard-like bodies, four legs, um, and usually some sort of proboscis. Um, I don't mean proboscis, do I mean like some... Uh, I don't know what proboscis means, so you could mean it. <laughs> no, no. I mean uh, like spikes on tails oh, right. and yeah, 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 things yeah. on their back. Yeah. Um, wings is an odd one, though, but could be could be fi- like fin-like things. Yeah, well, that, that's what I meant about the, the plethysaur. If you see it, the, the, the kind of bones out here, especially the way it's been mounted or maybe was discovered because they might have been crushed... They do yeah. look slightly wing-like. Yeah, yeah. And and we wouldn't have, when we first knew it, we, when we first saw it, wouldn't have known that it was a sea-dwelling thing. We might have assumed that they were wings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there is an, there is an actual early example in another European country of fossils influencing dragon folklore uh, in the 16th century. It's in the Austrian town of Klagenfurt, <laughs> now that was very convincing if that's right yeah I, I i slightly just blagged it well let's see what you think k-l-a-g-e-n-f-u-h-r-t klagenfurt i couldn't do better yeah we do have quite a lot of german listeners so please let us know we should do a kind of pronunciation tally we should kind of keep a score shouldn't we yeah <laughs> Well, in that town, in the 16th century, uh, a statue was erected showing a giant man slaying a dragon with a strange head. I mean, the dragon had the weird head, not the giant man, and he wasn't slain. So I really really screwed up that life. A dragon had a strange head. Yeah, no, there was a dragon that had a strange head. Um, We'll put uh, images of this in uh, our show notes, Facebook albums that we do. I'm just going to show Ben a quick picture of it. Oh, yes. Um, I can confirm that is very dinosaur-y. So, well, actually, the design was influenced by a fossil that had been found near the town 30 years before the uh, statue was erected in the 1600s. It was the fossil of a woolly rhinoceros. Oh, a woolly rhinoceros. Is that, are they Jurassic? No, they can't be Jurassic they're not, creatures. They're not. No. Um, but I guess, I guess they didn't. They didn't understand what that creature no. was at the time, or the fossil. So I, I'd, I'd not heard of a woolly rhino before. No, but um, they sound adorable. So I did a little bit of research. Uh, fossils suggest they died out about fourteen thousand years ago. So depending on your belief of dinosaurs, they, if you believe dinosaurs <laughs> only died out 100 years ago, they're <laughs> they, older they than them. They coexisted, yeah. yeah. Um, 
they look a bit like the name would suggest. They're kind of a cross between a rhino and a bison. I, I don't know what a ricin or a bino. Um, <laughs> you, you can't wash your hands in a. I've got rhino. a picture of that as well. We'll have a look at that. Oh man, that is beautiful. They're cute, aren't they? Oh, now you're going to tell me they're like Labrador size, and we could have had them. No, no, they, they were big. They were big. So it was that wasn't actually a dinosaur, but it does show how fossils were directly influencing dragon folklore because they found a fossil with a strange head and then they created that statue of a dragon with that shaped head as the woolly rhino. Um, Let's briefly talk about sea serpents and water dragons. And again, a bit like we were saying earlier, there are numerous tales of sea serpents and water dragons, which we could look into various early religious textbooks across multiple religions, Greek mythology, big in they, well, they were big. They were big in Greek mythology. I don't really want to go into them because uh, one simple reason. I mean, can't we pronounce them. I, I can't pronounce them. <laughs> no, even today you come across many stories of strange things being seen in sea or washed up on beaches, right? Like, you know, the internet's awash with them even now. Yeah, yeah, there's a TikToker who claims to be followed by mermaids. I've seen him. Yeah, and and I guess because the sea is such a unfamiliar, I mean, some would say even alien place, right? That you have to conclude the accounts of sea and water dragons are likely influenced by misidentification of beasts of the sea rather than anything kind of dragon-like i don't know if you've ever seen an oarfish oh yes yeah i've seen one in the in the flesh as it were yeah big one yeah I mean, huge one. huge aren't yeah they? absolutely enormous so you can see how this stuff so i I'd, and we covered this quite a lot when we did the mermaid episode do you remember we talked about how whale carcasses washed up on the shore it looked like hair and yeah we, we yeah. kind of been into it uh yeah, so so rotting whales are often accounted for a lot of these things. Uh, uh, when I say that's W H A L E rather than W A L E S before we upset a large part of our audience. Um, but before I move on from sea creatures, I did want to mention briefly a trend in the late nineteenth century for things called Jenny Hanivers. Have you heard of these? No. Oh, you're in for a treat. Uh, Jenny Hanivers were generally made of dead sea creatures, usually rays or skates, sometimes mixed with other animal parts, and they'd be mounted to look like weird creatures standing on legs and sold as kind of oddities. Oh. Um, I'm going to show Ben a picture of one of these as well. Like I said, these pictures will all be in the the photo album. I've got my glasses on. Oh, my God, that's a thing of nightmares. Yeah, it looks like an alien creature, right? Yes, um yeah we will put those on our facebook thing i can see now you said i can see where they used the skate yeah so that is a skate but the way they've mounted it it looks like it's standing on its legs and it's a creature interestingly uh i, cause I was like why do they call them jenny hanovers that's a really weird name to give, give them and it, it comes from a french phrase oh god why have i done this to myself today <laughs> so jeune Danivers, which means girl from Antwerp. <laughs> I sit, I'm well, still confused about why, why, why did they call it that? Well, because this is really interesting. Skates in Antwerp would wash up on the shore dead and they'd often be mistaken for dead mermaids. Oh, right. Oh, okay. So girl from Antwerp. But in the uh, in the nineteenth century, you could go and buy these things. They were they were collectors' items. There is a, there is a thing though about that. If of like I can understand, you know, day one in Antwerp, that looks like a dead moon. Oh no, it's a skate. Day two, that looks like a dead. Oh no, it's a skate. By day four, it's a, it's going to be a skate, isn't it? It's yeah. never a mermaid. <laughs> never a mermaid. I tell you what. Mount it on its legs, it'll look really weird. <laughs> <laughs> This'll teach the bloody thing. Just to recap, in my search to understand why we, as the Brits, are so obsessed with dragons, um, I've come up with these possible explanations so far. We have some kind of ge- genetic memory of the time that we walked the earth with dinosaurs. 
I'm going to say no. Unlikely. Dinosaurs still existed, at least to the Middle Ages, if not later. Again. I'm going to go no on that one too. Yeah. Dinosaur fossils sparked everyone's imagination, or from a psychological point of view, people created stories to explain these strange fossilised bones. That's the one I'm going with. There's more. Strange creatures from the sea spark the same kind of stories. These are a bit similar, aren't they? The exotic animals uh, coming over from other countries, being seen here for the first time, and the Jenny Hanover's type thing. I, like you, Ben, was thinking about what the most likely explanation from those theories. And, you know, the fossils were my number one choice. Well, I seem to recall, and apologies if I'm... If I've read this wrong, and one of our listeners will correct me, but I seem to remember learning that the the root of the Minotaur legend comes from discovering elephant fossils. And because elephants have that huge single opening in the front of their skull, which is where the trunk attaches, of uh, course, yeah. it was assumed it was an eye socket belonging to a large creature with a single eye. I believe that's where the Minotaur... Um, myth derives oh that's fascinating um the the only problem i have with that is surely you if you're in a place where there are elephants you'd see the skulls but maybe it was a it was in a place where there used to be elephants so people didn't know that that's what they were that's possible okay but have you entertained the thought that maybe dragons you know like bigfoot are potentially real and just elusive yeah i mean these are theories outside of that I see. I'm coming on to another theory of my own in a minute. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I was leading toward dinosaur fossils. And I'll tell you why, because Britain is a treasure trove of them, right? Particularly the Jurassic Coast, which Devon and Cornwall. Yes, I grew up in the village where they found the uh, the very first ever dinosaur fossil and had correctly identified it as such. Ah. Um, And then there's the slate mining connection, which would explain Wales and other parts of the country. And and the village I grew up in was a slate mine. Uh, Okay. So I'll tell you what I thought would be interesting, would be to track the legends of of dragons to areas that had a high propensity for prehistoric fossils. Oh, I like your style. And see if there was a correlation. I thought that would be interesting, but not interesting enough to do myself. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, you've been really busy. No, but if anyone does fancy doing that or has done that, I'd love to know about it to see if there is a connection there. But uh, I got no further than thinking that would be a good idea. I'm not doing that. (laughs) It It would be hard to do because of, like, countries like China where the legend is so prolific it 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 just seems to invade every part of society everything that i ever buy from you know the chinese supermarket not just the main brand you know blue the blue dragon stuff everything's got a dragon on it it is yeah. their culture yeah well instead of doing my survey i thought i'd do uh i'd go on a virtual hunt for modern day stories of encounters with dragons yeah that's the one Now, Ben, obviously, searching this kind of stuff is what we do, right? Yes. And usually, we end up with a whole mixture of stuff to wade through, right? We, Whether we're searching for stories about cryptids, fairies, ghosts, whatever it is, you'll back me up on this. You tend to get a lot of YouTube footage. Absolutely. A lot of photos. Yep. Encounters posted on websites, bulletin boards. Yep, yep. News stories, sometimes feeding off the stuff above. Yes. And then a fair bit of creepypasta, right? Loads of creepypasta, and if you're lucky, unbook. <laughs> yep. Well, my search for stories of real-life modern-day dragons brought surprisingly little. Especially, I thought, given... Well, look, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, It's we've said about it being so prevalent, you think it would be a wash with these stories, right, of modern-day yeah. encounters? Yeah, you would. Um, I mean, I got plenty of YouTube video clips, clips claiming to be real footage. I'm sure you've seen I've some seen of these. I've seen those, yeah, yeah. We've said on the podcast before that given people's home computing skills now and Photoshop and, you know, the ability to create graphics, it's really hard to pay much attention to any of those, right? If Not just because we're an audio podcast, but it's like... Uh, 
I mean, no. you see three of them. One looks grainy and could be interesting. One looks just too good to be true. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just, but that pretty much apart from that and a couple of um, rough stories on uh, Reddit, not that many, to be honest. I couldn't find any modern day encounters. That's kind of, I do find that odd in a way because um i was putting it like as like i just said i was putting it into the same camp as potentially yeti bigfoot where you get you know there's loads and loads of recorded encounters with that and like most of it you have to discard and some of it you kind of go oh that's really interesting and there must you know something in that some somewhere but there's nothing about that in dragons well i mean not from the searches i did and like i said we do this a lot um, yeah, I'm sure if I'd have just kept digging, I would have found something. But to the level that we normally dig with, and you know it when we've been doing the podcast, you're like, "That's good. That's good. That's interesting. Throw that one out. That that's got something interesting about yeah, it." Yeah, yeah. There, there was nothing on that level. Uh, yeah, yet stories of dragons in the Middle Ages. I mean, you trip over yourself trying to avoid one, right? Yes, yeah. Well, there's uh, there's hundreds of stories around just where we live. I was telling you the other day about um, there's a hill around here which is supposed to supposedly got a dragon living underneath it. Yeah. Um, the Rollwright Stones, yes, which we, we spoke covered, about. Yeah. yeah, that is supposedly got a dragon yeah. living underneath it. Um, that is so. Well, it led me to a rather out there thought, Ben. Could the reason? There are very few modern-day reports of dragon encounters compared to the seemingly mythical, other mythical creatures we cover. Could that be because dragons never really existed in the first place? And I don't mean that in a dismissive, sceptic sense. I started thinking, were the historical encounters, especially those in the Middle Ages, UFO sightings and encounters? Do you know, I was hoping you were going to go there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The lack of modern-day dragon sightings and encounters could come from the fact that we now see them as UFO sightings, not dragons. I know it sounds out there, and as I said, I was leaning with the dinosaur fossil theory for the establishment of dragon lore in the UK, but there were a few things about the fossil theory that bothered me. Certainly someone might have found a pterodactyl fossil, which obviously was a flying dinosaur. And we talked about the plethiosaur bones could be mistaken from by wings. Just before we get people uh, writing to you, I don't think a pterodactyl was it was classed as a dinosaur. I think it was... It, it's, it's in the same... It was later, was it? I think it was later, but... Um, just, I just know that people have corrected me, but but it, to all intents and purposes, it's a dinosaur. From, I never from, knew that. From, your, from from what we're talking about, it definitely is. That Sorry is to good... sound like a clever dick. It's no, just, no, that's... someone will point it out. I, I would don't. rather you sound like a clever dick than me get really <laughs> offensive emails or, or posts on Twitter. Um, either way, you could, you know, like the rhino, you could have, they could have found a fossil of it. Yes, um, but. That would assume that whole fossils were found, which I think in the Middle Ages is possible, but it's kind of unlikely if you think of the impact that Mary Anning's plethysaur fossil, finding a whole one was, you know, in the, what, 17, late, late 1700s. Yeah. But, but you'd only have to find a jawbone with teeth or something, wouldn't you, to kind of start putting, you know, putting two and two together to make five, wouldn't yes, you? Yes, well, you would. But the things I was questioning was, um, well, there's the flying bit for a start, how you make that leap to flying. Okay, you could see that happening. The other thing that bothered me was dragons breathing fire because that takes quite an imagination to assign the ability of a dragon to breathe fire just from coming across some bones. Yeah, that's a leap of faith, actually. And a leap of imagination, yes. And then finally, the third one, armour. Dragons are often described as having heavily armoured bodies. Many accounts in folklore describe the armour as metallic. Now, of course, this could be just derived, you know, you could be taking adapting the scales of a snake or whatever that can have a metallic look. 
But it did start me thinking. Those three things together, flying, breathing fire, metallic appearance. You can probably see where I'm starting to go with this. I, I absolutely do, yeah. Um, so what I thought I'd do was go back, because by this point I'd read um, lots of stories from the Middle Ages about dragon encounters. And like you said earlier, we're not really the lawmen. That's what they do brilliantly. So it's like, well, I don't, I don't really want to go and say, right, in th- 1353 there was this thing, so it's not really what we do. But what I did do um, was start to go back through them with my UFO theory in mind and read and see what that brought up. And it started me thinking about the episode we did on the Grim Reaper a while back and some of the stories that you featured from the Middle Ages, which sounded more like UFO encounters and sightings than anything else. Yeah, yeah, the black figures waving wands with gas, yeah, yeah. So let me share a few of Dragon Encounters with with you, Ben, and you can decide whether I'm bucking up the wrong extraterrestrial tree. Let's start with a relatively modern dragon sighting from the early 1800s. The woods round Penylin Castle in Glamorgan had a reputation of being frequented by winged serpents, and these were the terror of old and young alike. An aged inhabitant who dies a few years ago this is the way it's written, said that in his boyhood, the winged serpents were described as very beautiful. They were coiled when in repose and looked like they were covered in jewels of all sorts. Some of them had crests sparkling with colours of the rainbow. When disturbed, they glided swiftly, sparkling all over to their hiding place. That is very UFO-y. Yeah, that's what I thought. They get a little bit more UFO-y, some of the ones I've found. The other, another historian in 1798 spoke of a giant snake killed near a tin mine, also in Devon, credited with wings and legs and the size of a human body and the hiss that could be heard for miles around, which had been seen to fly to and fro. I thought Mm. the hiss was... Because that kind of description also came Mm. up with the Grim Reaper stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is a traditional count of a dragon in Carlton in Lincolnshire around the end of the 17th century with its long scaly body, this is interesting, short iron-clad legs, lashing tail and head which was set, one blazing eye the size of a basin. It struck terror into the boldest hearts. Nor was it vulnerable, save from a small wart stood out on its right thigh. To pierce it would kill it, but a triple guard of brass protected the spot. So you got... It was a creature that seems to be metallic. It had ironclad legs. Uh, It had a guard made of brass. And it had one blazing eye the size of a basin metal flying object with one illuminated big light very much so the only the only thing about that is the um the flailing tail but um well i was thinking that could be gas coming out the back yeah that could be fire coming out the back which yeah. would also explain the fire breathing element of a dragon yeah that's that's my thought as well yes that is that is very interesting because then do you go so far as to you know to just just to run with this theory because it's interesting the the idea of them all being reptilian ties in with the stories we've heard about reptilians yeah um and the fact that they're interested in women taking them to their caves that ties into the story that i did last week yeah 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 well I mean, I read so many stories, uh, not only from Jacqueline Simpson's book, but other ones that described flying objects that, you know, emanate fire, gas, covered in metal. We talked earlier uh, briefly about dragons guarding things like gold and other precious metals, which I think is an interesting connection as well. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, and like we said in that episode we did before, the, we talked about spewing gas from something seen in the Middle Ages that could have been a UFO. Uh, this could kind of also explain the dragon thing. Now, people might think I'm spewing gas with my thoughts of USO, but... And we must consider that maybe other non-terrestrial events might have played a part, such as comets, meteor showers, aurora borealis. Um, there is one story that I thought you could read either way rather than uh, it could account for a celestial uh, event like the aurora or you could read it at UFO, see what you think. The year came dreadful forewarnings over the land of Northumbrians, terrifying the people most woefully. There were immense sheets of light rushing through the air and whirlwinds and fiery dragons flying across the firmament. These tremendous tokens were soon followed by a great famine. It's it's annoyingly ambiguous. Yeah, it's the but... dragons flying through and flow. What also interested yeah. me about that one was many of your UFO sightings in your Grim Reaper episode were followed by famines and, That's and, exactly and other right. occurrences so yes. that really sparked that in my mind gosh sorry i'd forgotten about that yes you're right gosh that is interesting yes because most of the ufo sightings from the grim reaper episode it either led to a plague or a famine right and, well and this is the same point now maybe there was a lot of plaguing and famining going along at that time <laughs> and you'd associate anything with it it was it was everything it was everywhere it was a bloody wash with plague and famine. no no but wait you, your story that you kicked off with at the beginning with George, yeah, what does that sound like? That's a famine. All the sheep are dead. Yeah, then yeah, all the yeah. people are dead. Yeah, until he slays the. Until he's yeah, yeah. And I, it made me think also, Ben, about um, the episode we did with Nigel Watson talking about UFOs of World War One, because he was saying they would be described as f- fantastical airships or balloons, right? Because almost that was the description or language which people would describe or rationalise those amazing things that they were seeing. But if you follow that thread, you would think that dragon sightings, if there is a UFO connection, would be described as giant flying birds rather than dragons. So I don't know where that kind of comes in, unless it was just something so fantastical that you that this thing of the dragon came around it. Well, we, we've spoken in the past about how some of these UFO sightings... Um, are often things that are sort of 20, 30, 40, 50 years away from being an actual reality. So those airships were seen when there weren't such a thing as airships. And um, some people have put it down to like secretive flying clubs and there's even evidence that there was one in existence. But the 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 uh, sightings of what you would call UFOs, but they're shaped like dirigibles. They've got an undercarriage. And um, in fact, James was... To, this is the James episode. He was talking about yeah. it on The Lawmen last week, about the the, the, the guy that... Um, the sort of the astronaut that comes down the anchor. Oh, the one that, that choked. Yes. Yeah, we, we, yeah. We did, we did that... Did we, that was that in Nigel's episode as well, we did I think, that one. I did. Yeah. Th- I think we spoke about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was... A, yeah, I've forgotten but, that. But then you get... For, you, slightly more in the future, you get the steampunky type of ones yeah. where um the aliens have kind of you know they've sometimes they've got tv screens but they've got tubes on the tv screens and um they're communicating using like brass telephones but that now our aliens have got you know amazing technology where they just touch things and things happen you know like an ipad yeah. but in 50 years time so are these sightings before before technology was there before 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 that we're seeing them as something different and seeing it as a dragon, which would explain the ubiquitousness of that dragon shape. But then that all goes down to are they are they alien things or is it a phenomena that is just taking the piss? Right, right, right. Yeah, and look, I'm not the first to make that connection between dragons and UFOs, but and it is easy to post rationalise, isn't it? Repurpose or you know quote Bob Lazar, reverse engineer the reports and the law to make it the UFO argument out of dragons. But uh, I mean, my final thought I had was if we went with it uh, and it did turn out that dragons certainly in Britain were more connected to alien visitation and UFOs, 
puts a different spin on the story, like you said, of George St. George and the Dragon. And also, that means the Welsh flag has basically got an alien extraterrestrial symbol on it. That means it's extra cool. Yeah. That'd be, can you imagine that? It's like, oh, yeah, oh yeah, that's the, yeah, that was that alien visitation in the 1500s. That's brilliant. I, I really like that, that theory. Um, but it's kind of, it, it's, it's taking a lot to process because I, I wasn't expecting you to go in that direction. But it does, it does make absolute sense in the fact that one can ever make sense of something like, like dragons. You've just made me think about how weird it is that they're the same in every culture. Pretty much every culture's got one. And yet nobody's seen one for like 500 years. Well, it's that bit of flying, okay, you can get. Breathing fire, that's an interesting twist. The bit that really sticks with me is the metallic-like descriptions, the armoured-like descriptions, the association with metal, like precious metal, like gold, flashing lights (laughs) for eyes. But the metallic bit is the bit that they always have this armoured metallic part to them and that's really fascinating if you think about it in the context of some kind of UFO influence. Yeah, or even, yeah, either the ship itself or an inhabitant of the ship. Yeah, 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 an armoured inhabitant even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That is, that's quite a thing. Yeah, I mean, I think the... The sceptical bit of me goes, yeah, it's just fossils and people wrote some great stories. The 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 romantic part of me likes the idea of some UFO connection. But it, it to be just to be just fossils, and I do think it is probably the most likely, but it, there would have had to have been an exchange of information from people, you know, I, I keep using China, but let's say between China and Wales thousands of years ago and there probably was there were trade routes of course of course but it does require somebody to one day go pretty sure this skull belonged to a creature that looked a bit like this and someone else to go oh that bloke 3,000 miles away he's got one of those not literally that of course I'm not stupid but down the trading routes people are like he's found a skull of this thing oh I have as well and it's completely possible isn't it it's completely possible but it is in which case, it's the most well-travelled sort of fable, if you like, to explain away um, a, a, a fossil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because if you go with that kind of, you know, why wasn't it the... Why is there not a duck-billed platypus on the Welsh flag? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Breathing fire. Oh, but duck-billed platypus got enough going on, it doesn't need to breathe fire as well, does it? But... I don't know if it's uh, apocryphal or not, but I believe that... Um, when it was first discovered and reported back, people thought that they weren't real and it was a made-up Yeah, they were animal. like those Jenny Hanivers. Yeah, yeah. Because it is <laughs> it's, yeah. it's one of uh, evolution's strangest designs. Yeah, unless it's the greatest hoax in natural history. <laughs> and they're all in on it. Well, maybe they're all tulpas. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, that's next week's episode sorted. I'm going to tease you because we're still working on some follow-up stuff. Oh, yeah. But I did get a very interesting reply to my FOIA request around the Starlight yes. episode. And it requires even more follow-up. It's not It's not very... It's not simple, but I think um, the answer that I got back w- has taken me somewhere else. Yeah, it's fascinating. And it might. It, we might get a little way with this. Well, I think I think when we that was uh, the one story we covered in the kind of strange inventions one, wasn't it? I can't remember the exact title of the episode, but um, we did say if we got something interesting back from the Freedom of Information request, we might do another episode. I'm not going to tell you what we got back from the Freedom of Information request, but we might do another episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've got another outstanding foyer about um, werewolf sightings, specific locations of werewolf sightings with the police, and I was hoping that would come back by uh, this weekend. They're um, going to be, oh, 
God, it's Ben again. I know. <laughs> oh, Ben, yeah, all right, give it to... Do we have to? I do <laughs> really? look like that crazy guy. Yeah. <laughs> I do look like the crazy guy. Excellent. Uh, thank you for that episode. That was absolutely fascinating, and I'm going to I, every time we cover something and we kind of go back to we, we quite often go well that sounds like this other thing but that also sounds like mm. another thing mm. and then you start going ah, it's all one interconnected phenomena i keep coming back to it yeah and it just ev- every time you just go well this just raises more questions than it answers um but that's you know that's how it rolls isn't it yeah well, we'll be back with more fiery tales next week on the Quantum <laughs> Mechanics. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye. Are you the Quantum Mechanics?